Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. Father, you're in a good mood. You're a good God, and you have good things waiting for your glory here upon this earth. And we want to taste of it. We want to see it. We want to experience it. But most importantly, we want to spread it out to people who do not know the goodness of God. Today, Father, prepare us. Equip us to take that message. Give it to us first and be an equipper of us as we go out into the darkness to be the light of this world, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. 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 You may be seated at this time. You guys are doing great. I mean, that's a, I'm telling you, these, these past couple weeks, it's been a, a con- there's a difference between a group of people getting together to praise and worship and then a concert of praise and a concert of worship, right? If you would just throw a whole bunch of people at the mall together and say, hey, sing this song, they would sing it. And we'd say, okay, they're praising, they're worshiping, or they're singing. But when you get people together that are on the same page, that are unified with one mission, just like you would at a concert, it's a concert of praise, a unified concert of worship. So that's good. Thanks for coming along with us. Yeah. You could turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to be there for a little bit. And then the rest of the day will uh, be in Genesis chapter 26. I really feel like today's message is a combination of ideas that have been on my heart for the past few months. From the very first message, I think it was in late July, of the spark before the fire. And that turning into an entire series of messages Uh, I believe even from the message a few weeks ago about removing barriers from your life and even things that Pastor Juwan, he he had no clue what I was preaching on. I didn't know what he was preaching on. And he spent a significant amount of time reading the revival history of this county, which is exactly with where I am going today. So I believe that the Lord has us here for a reason. You don't have to look at it as repeating. It's what God's saying. He's breathing on it, breathing on it, breathing on it until we get it. And then he'll release us to something else. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 25, it says this, Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had taken by force from Abraham's servants. Now, I want you to think about something here. A well is a sign of life because without water, there's no life. 
So wells at this time, were, and especially in this dry climate, were extremely important because fresh, clean water was not readily available to them. So if you had a well and you actually found fresh water in it, you basically had stake to the entire property of land because you were going to protect that thing. It's kind of like if somebody came to your yard, dug up a hole, and ripped out your water pipe. You would not be very happy about that, would you? Right? So Abraham goes to Abimelech and complains that his servants, Abimelech's servants, have stolen, taken by force one of these wells. This was basically an act of war on Abraham. If, you're not, uh, if you haven't grown up in church, you might not be familiar with Abraham. Abraham uh, was in covenant with God. There were great, great promises that he was going to be a father of many nations. He was told by God to look out in the stars and to, to begin to count the stars. And he says, your descendants are going to be greater than these. So Abraham was a blessed man of God. In fact, he was called a friend of God. But he was carrying on and hosting the presence of God, even in the Old Testament, and the blessing of God. And now Abimelech from the Philistines came and took one by force. So in verse 26, Abimelech answers, this is the first I've heard of it. I have no idea who's responsible. Verse 27, Abraham gave some sheep, goats, and cattle to Abimelech, and they made a treaty. So this was an agreement. But in addition to that, in verse 28, it says, he also took seven additional female lambs, and set them off by, themse- by themselves. So Abimelech answered, or asked him, why have you set these seven apart? This is what Abraham said in verse 30. Please accept these seven lambs to show your agreement that I dug this well. Then he named the place Beersheba, which means well of the oath, because, there were there, uh, because that was where they had sworn the oath. In verse 34, down in verse 34, it says, Abraham lived as a foreigner in Philistine country for a long time. Now, if you look at this, there was an agreement made. Abraham wanted to make it clear to Abimelech and to all of the Philistines that this well had been dug by Abraham because it was a sign of God's covenant. It was a sign of God's promise. It was a sign of God's blessing upon Abraham and his future descendants. I want you to flip to Genesis chapter 26. We'll read a portion there also. Well, we're going to pick up now. So we know that Abraham dug at least one well, and there's evidence that he dug several wells, okay? The blessing of the Lord, the promise of God, the covenant of God was upon Abraham and promised to his descendants. We'll see in verse, 20, in verse 1 of chapter 26, a severe famine now struck the land. This is after the death of Abraham. So he's no longer here. Now Isaac, his son, is in the picture. It says a, a severe famine now struck the land. And had hap- as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, lived. Now we know Abimelech, right? Already. He stole uh, one of Abraham's wells. Well, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land. Now it's interesting. Abraham lived as a foreigner in that same Philistine land. And it was promised to Abraham, that that land would all be given to him and his descendants one day. Now, Isaac's told to live as a foreigner in that same land. And he goes on and says, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised to Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For those of you know the covenant of Abraham and God, I will give you all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. 
Now, there was a covenant promise given to Abraham that was designed to go down to Isaac and to go down into future generations. Isaac was actually to reap those blessings, and if his descendants were to become more numerous than all the stars, and Abraham was called blessed by God, then Isaac must be called even more blessed by God, right? And the future generations after generations, if the descendants are going to become more numerous than the stars, then the blessing must increase. Are you following me? Blessing must increase and increase and increase because as, uh, as men and women are born and they grow up in the fear of the Lord, following the Lord, then his glory begins to cover the earth more and more. So the blessing of God is intended, the kingdom of God is intended to always increase. Now, I believe that to be true in today's generation as well. I believe just as God made an agreement with Abraham, a covenant with Abraham to pass on to future generations, I believe he does that with families. I believe he does that from individual to individual. That's what we see. Some families, you see an increase of blessing upon the family line, and sometimes you just see it cut off. But I believe there's a reason why it's cut off. I also believe not in church as like a governmental organization that we say we're recognized by them as a church. I mean, I believe that when a group of believers come together, I believe that God places a unique stamp on those believers to accomplish a certain task. And I actually believe that from generation to generation, his blessing is supposed to increase. So our influence in this world increases as well. But sometimes we see in churches, in church bodies, I'm talking about the people, not a building. Sometimes we'll see God's glory will increase and increase and a move of God will start and out of nowhere it just gets cut off. And you'll see sometimes from division and jealousy, right, people wanting to, to create their own name, that things happen and it cuts off. That is not the will of the Lord. His kingdom is always to be increasing and increasing. It's our responsibility to receive those blessings. So now we're not obeying to receive the blessings Jesus already made a way for us to receive the blessing of the Lord. The reason why we obey the Lord is so that we can remain good stewards of what he wants to do. It's just like my children. They don't have to do anything to earn my blessing. But if one of them is not showing the responsibility to take care of a brand new bike, I'm not going to give him a brand new bike. It's for his or her benefit to not receive that yet. So we can't look at it and say, well, God just doesn't want to bless me or doesn't want to bless my family or doesn't want to move in this church. Absolutely not. Upon glory, upon glory, to glory, to glory, to he wants to continue to increase his work upon this earth. So whether this applies to your individual life and family or for this morning what we're doing as a church body, we are desiring for God to move in greater ways. Let's look at verse 12. When Isaac planted his crop, now this is a famine, okay? Things aren't supposed to be going well. Isaac plants his crops that year. He harvests a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. I want you to understand something. As a believer, as a child of God, you don't have to listen to the newscast and say, this is what's happening. We don't have to believe what everybody else with a political agenda is saying. The greatest reality is, is that you're a child of God. So you can anticipate with great expectation his favor, his blessing, and his protection. We don't have to look and say, well, all these bad things are happening. No, I am a child of God. I will continue to obey him, receive his blessings, and make a difference in this world. And look what happens in verse 13. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. It's interesting. If we would say that about somebody now, 
we would try to, try to figure out, well, what did they do that was crooked? Or what is he doing to do all this? Well, isn't, he, isn't, he, isn't his priority on the Lord? We have to stop having issues with prosperity. Prosperity in itself is not sinful. This is Isaac. Do you know Abraham and the blessing and prosperity that he had? And now Isaac, it says here, listen to what it says. He became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow. Prosperity in itself is not sinful. It's what you choose to do with what God gives you that makes it either a blessing to God or a blessing just to yourself. And I don't think you have to have a lot of wealth to determine that, right? If you have two Pop-Tarts in front of your hand, is it going to go to you or one to somebody else and one to you? So when I even say prosperity, I'm talking about more than enough. So it's interesting. We, I'm telling you, we worship God and say, wow, the blessing of God was on Isaac. Look, he was a very rich man. This is a sign of his blessing. Now, not everybody that's wealthy is blessed by God. Are you following me? And not everybody that has nothing is absent from the blessing of God. We just know this was a sign of blessing. So if we're going to celebrate it in the book, we might as well celebrate it today too. Say, God has blessed that person for a certain reason, and they're using their resources for the kingdom. I got way off there. Sorry. Verse 14, here we go. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So it says, so the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. That's just mean. (laughs) Remember, wells were a stake to claim of that land. Wells were a sign of life. Wells were a sign, right, that blessing will flow because there was water there. Says these were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Now I highly doubt that these Philistines knew this. But what just happened to Isaac was that the wells of revival, the wells of blessing, the wells of covenant that God had given to his father Abraham had just been filled. So what's happening here is the enemy is trying to cut off life from one generation to the next. And that's what the enemy tries to do in your family. And the enemy tries to do that in churches. There's great blessing and promise and covenant that God gives to the body of believers. And he wants us to continue to advance and advance. And now here, jealousy creeps in and cuts off, tries to cut off. So these Philistines come in and they fill it all up. In verse 16, finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the, val- to the Gerar Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. And verse 18 is where I want to talk about for a few minutes. He opened, he reopened. Some of your translations say he redug the wells that his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. And Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. So he respectfully leaves this territory that, is, that it really his blessings had, put, it had caused him to be pushed out by Abimelech, but he wasn't done. He, didn't just, he wasn't satisfied with those wells being filled up. So he goes back with his servants and actually redigs these wells that represent life and blessing and covenant because Isaac was determined to move forward even in the face of adversity. And this is what we're going to do today. Those who have gone before us 
You might think of somebody even as I'm talking in your family, four or five generations before. I'm talking about this county, the the fellowship of believers that we're a part of with the Assemblies of God and this church. There are men and women of God that have gone before us and have labored with the Lord for generations to dig the wells that God has put his stamp on. And over time, these wells are being filled up if we're not intentional about keeping them open. And I believe that the Lord wants us to re-dig these wells today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start by redigging the wells of this county, which Pastor Juwan did a lot last week. I'm not going to share a lot, but this is how our county began. In the late 1700s to the mid-1800s, I'm just going to read a few sentences from what Pastor Juwan read last week. In fact, we could post that online if somebody from our ministry team reminds me tomorrow. We could post it online so you can read about this. It says, this county was brought into existence in the midst of revivals. The county that you live in, if you live in Washington County, was brought into existence, birthed Washington County out of revivals. The first revival of religion ever witnessed west of the Allegheny Mountains took place in the fall of the year of 1781, simultaneous with the organization of Washington County. This is not somebody's opinion. This is verified fact. In this, beyond everything else, we find, in my judgment, this is the person who wrote this, the most distinguishing feature of our history. This is a historian looking at Washington County, saying revival is the most distinguished feature. This whole community was shaken as if by a moral earthquake, a revival which in many of its aspects, with no hesitation in saying, was more remarkable than what was experienced on the day of Pentecost. That's a pretty hefty statement to say about what God was doing in this revival. The last one I want to share from this county, it says this, I am sure that there was a type of piety, which means devotion, developed out of these revivals, which has had a momentous influence in shaping the whole subsequent religious history of this county. Revival is what birthed the county in which you live in. And there were men and women of God for a season of time that dug those wells of revival. But they're being filled in by a heroin epidemic. They're being filled in by people who continue to live in sin, to live in ways that are in opposition to God. We can do one of two things. We could sit here and complain about the epidemic and complain about the sin problem and complain that our world or our country and our county is going to hell in a handbasket, or we can actually do something about it. And let me recommend something to you. Your something that you're doing about it is not waiting for the right president to get voted in. The, the word of God never says to rely on a governmental official to bring the kingdom of God to earth. In fact, we're not supposed to be going to the government for solutions. We hold the solutions. We hold the answers. We hold everything that is needed to solve a problem in this world. His name's Jesus Christ. So when you go and you're complaining, we say, well, I just can't wait until a Christian president is in there. Have you forgot about the 600 non-believers that will oppose that man or woman if he's in there? So do your due diligence as a Christian and vote, right? Figure it out. Figure out who is going to make the most moral decisions based on uh, laws that they can pass and do things, but don't, don't put a spiritual expectation on that person. The church of Jesus Christ is responsible for bringing the glory of God to earth in partnership with him. 
In fact, if you got an extremely strong Christian in that role, and they overstepped their bounds and even said, you know, I'm declaring that this is now a Christian nation, that's not going to change a thing. What we need to do is change people's hearts with the love of God. So like God's handing us a spiritual shovel and he's saying, what are you doing with this county? Are we going to redig the wells of revival that were placed here hundreds of years ago? Or are we going to complain about the situation? And when we redig these wells, when we go after these situations and these problems, we're not, we're not going after people in anger. Are you following me? We don't go after all those heroin and this and that. No, absolutely not. We love people. We hate the devil. Our job is to destroy the works of the enemy in people's lives. So we don't come against people. We come against the work of the enemy. And we reclaim what is rightfully ours. We reclaim the prosperity and blessing that the Lord does want us to have. We are the ones that should be having the most fun and the most joy. The last time I checked, the rainbow is not the LGTBs. It's ours. The rainbow's ours. It's a sign, it's a sign of where the church is, honestly. That we've allowed something of sexual sin to now be. That, that's, their, that's their symbol. It doesn't make us mad at people. It makes me mad at the devil. We must redig the wells in this county. And we can do it by taking, making progress and taking steps with the Lord to eliminate the works of the enemy. We're going to redig some wells in the assemblies of God. Throughout the later half of the 19th century in the United States, Protestants from various denominations and backgrounds, they began to ask themselves, why is the church not seeing the power that we saw in the New Testament? They started wondering this. One of the focal points of this Pentecostal movement was the Asuzu Street Revival, which we've talked about several times, from 1906 to 1909. In the summer of 1906, revival erupted in this newly formed congregation meeting in a small rundown mission at 312 Asuzu Street in Los Angeles, California. Critics quickly attacked the congregation because of its mild-mannered African-American preacher, William Seymour. You know why? Because he was preaching on racial reconciliation and restoration of biblical spiritual gifts. It's interesting, the two things that God would want to happen here on this earth, and people start to resist it. And you know who was resisting it? It wasn't the drug dealers. It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't people that were lost. It was Christians. Well, no, we can't be having this racial reconciliation stuff. Oh, we can't. These gifts, that looks a little bit too wild. No, this is what happened. God broke out in massive revival. And what happened is there were countless salvations. There were miracle signs and wonders. There's evidence of limbs growing back and tumors falling off, people being delivered and completely set free, experiencing the manifested glory of God. And it was out of that revival that groups began to come together and say, you know what? We want to have a proper sign of fellowship and accountability. We want to have an organized way to send missionaries across the world. And that is how the Assemblies of God started. Our, the very first well that was dug in the Assemblies of God was a well of revival through Asuzu Street. And this past Friday, October 7th, marked 100 years to the day when the first statement of fundamental truths was signed and adopted by the Assemblies of God. A hundred years that we've believed a core doctrines, but I believe that dirt has been thrown on some of these wells. I believe that we have gotten far away from 
what was acceptable and expected back at Azusa Street. In fact, I believe in probably 90 or 95% of Assemblies of God churches, if what happened today is what happened in Azusa Street, we would say it's completely out of order. There's all this crazy stuff happening. Yet this is the well that was dug for us. This is the church family you've chosen to be a part of that was birthed in massive revival. And I believe honoring the past and honoring and recognizing how these wells were dug, we can begin to redig the wells and say, you know what? We're not going to try to be like any other church. We're not going to try to be like any other denomination. We're going after God. And we don't want to just du- duplicate or replicate what's happened in the Susan Street. We want more. We want more salvations that we're experiencing because we're going from glory to glory and we're expecting the blessing of God to increase from generation to generation. The more I've learned about that revival, the more I want to see God move because I know that's our spiritual inheritance as being an Assemblies of God church. We can go after it. And we're not going after a thing. We're going after him. We're going to dig, redig some wells at Central. Central Assembly of God goes back to 1939, 77 years ago, when a small group of people under the leadership of James Wardrop, met in the Christian Church of North America. In 1942, Robert Shipp assumed the pastorate, bringing an aggressive leadership style to which the church responded. If you're newer to Central, this is the history of the church in which you sit. He held many revival crusades and all-day fellowship meetings. During these crusades, many individuals received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and were called into ministry as the church experienced revival. The very first wells of this church that were dug were wells of revival. We can't mistake it. We can't ignore it. We must honor it. In 1952, a building was purchased in Cannonsburg and became Glad Tidings Tabernacle. It was also in 1952 that the church officially became affiliated with the Assemblies of God. That was 64 years ago. In 1961, George Van Riper was trusted to lead the assembly. Months after becoming the pastor, the door was opened to radio broadcasting for Pastor Van Riper. This radio ministry started out as the living word on WARO in Cannonsburg and helped the church increase numerically, financially, and spiritually. You guys doing all right? In 1963, the church purchased 4.5 acres of ground on McGovern Road, Houston, PA. That's us. The new complex, including a 200-seat sanctuary, completed and was named Central Assembly of God. Now, that sanctuary is if you go up the ramp, if you have children in the nursery or the preschool, that was the original sanctuary. 200-seat, the stage was at the end of the nursery, and you'll see still the original doors at the end of the preschool. This is when we were named Central Assembly of God. This was 52 years ago that we actually became Central The name was chosen because of its central location between Cannonsburg and Washington, where many people traveled to attend. This has not ever been just a local neighborhood church. It was birthed out of revival, and it was always a regional church. See, we can put a name to it. We can put a mission statement and a vision statement to it, but we must honor what happened here. If we don't honor what happened in the past, we're not going to understand where we're going in the future. God has already put his unique stamp upon this church. We just have to discern what he's already doing, what was for a season, and what's for the generations to come. In July of 1968, Ralph Volpe accepted the pastorate, uh, to the call to assume the pastorate. 
Over the next several years, the church experienced tremendous growth through ongoing evangelistic and revival efforts. One significant moment that led to this growth occurred in 1975. I believe this was one of the the greatest miracles that we experienced as a church. I wasn't even around yet. A district official came and challenged Central to have 500 in attendance for one Sunday service. The record to date was 125. I could see if it was like 400, and they're like, have 500. 125 was the maximum. And this district official challenged them to have 500. So Miracle Sunday, which it was termed, was set for March of 1975. By God's grace, 518 people were in attendance that day, and the church remained strong for the future. From 125 to 518, and it has remained strong into the future. The necessity to expand the facility became essential. 14 months later, they broke ground in a sanctuary with 300% increase in seating capacity. That's where you sit today. In 1981, the vision of the church expanded in the area of Christian education, and Central Christian Academy was born. Today, this school offers nursery school, preschool, kindergarten through eighth grade, as well as maintaining two daycares combined as one storybook village. In 1999, the vision of the church would one, the, the belief that the vision, the vision of the church is that one day would expand further. So 109 acres were purchased on Route 519 in Chartiers Township, where we now receive royalties from gas wells, and we've trusted the future of the use of that land to the Lord. On July 13, 2003, Pastor Bill Volt was elected to succeed his father as the next senior pastor. Ministries and staff continued to grow, and lost souls were continually being brought into the kingdom through the efforts of him and the church. On December 15, 2004, Pastor Stephen Getchell was elected as our next senior pastor. Over the next 10 years, Central experienced extraordinary growth in missions awareness, giving to missions, and missions trips, along with local missions, including the Freedom Festival, Hope Dinner, the Appreciation Banquet, and many other things. In fact, the majority of the current pastoral team was hired over those 10 years, and much progress was made in the development of ministries. Up to date, we have 77 years of history gathering as believers, 64 years in the Assemblies of God, and 52 years as Central Assembly of God. And God has sent thousands of people from this entire region to come here to be born again, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be delivered and healed. And our original wells were wells of revival. In fact, there's a great history of men and God that are here. And I'm going to spend a time because I feel like as we honor these people publicly, we will be re-digging wells that the devil wanted to fill and we're going to redig them today. Pastors that were hired from outside of Central, not from here, but hired in here. Steve and Liz Dufresne, Steve Junta, George Hatchner, Don Matoyak, Scott Nagel, Joel Pageant, Robert Shipp, Francisco Teodora, George Van Riper, Ralph Volpe, Jason Walker, James Wardrop, and Steve Wolf. People who attended Central before coming on staff as a pastor. In fact, you could put that up, Nathaniel. These are not all people that were on staff, but this slide is filled with people who called Central their home first and then were called into the ministry. God has dug a well of revival for this church. 
And he has called us to be ascending church, and we must honor that past so we can move on in the future. People who have attended Central before, before coming on staff as a pastor, Vicki Barton, Jeff Bender, Adam Brock, Brad Burris, Denise DeMeo, Dave Felvo, Stephen and Sophia Getchell, myself, Jim Left Colich, Nathan Miller, Don O'Hare, Todd Stemple, Bill Volpe, Rick Volpe, John Warren. I'm going to read a list that we have. And, I, and, and if you see, way back when we first started, there were people released in the ministry that we'll never have record of. But I feel like reading these names will honor the, the wells of revival that were dug. If I forget a name, I'm sorry. We've done our due diligence to do research. These are people that were from Central released into ministry. Came here. This is not a Bible belt. We're not close to a Bible university. And yet God has called many people. Elaine Anderson, Janine Barry Altman, Tammy Buckles Schrock, Barbell Burris Pryor, Leslie Christ, Ashley Clater, Jonathan D'Amico, Ryan Dufresne, Steve Dufresne Jr., John, Jason DeMeo, Jonathan DeMeo, Paul Diaz, Cindy Don Giovanni Tomsic, Randy Don Giovanni, Suzanne Drummond Schaefer, Rebecca Ewart Kalinda, Don Ewart, Joshua Felvo, Kara Frigello Chambers, Sharice Frigello Jenkins, Jason Jablonski, Troy Jackson, Sue Kidder Petritus, Adrian Knox White, Lily Kolish Conforti, Steve Kolish, Brett Maverich, Lindy Mazeroski Clark, Ashley Mazeroski Hubler, Bob and Tracy Mazeroski, Amber McCreary, Aaron Miller, Adam Miller, Amy and Johnny Miller, Johnny Ray Miller, Lisa Monacalvo Nagel, Richie Muckle, Katie Nicolella Gardner, Amy Openbriar, Joel and Bonnie Pageant, Aaron Peternell, Nathan Peternell, Paul and Mary Peternell, Sonia Peternell, Jessica uh, Shuttlesworth Gasaldia, Gasaldi, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, Tiff Shuttlesworth, Tara Silich Stewart, Mike Silich, George and Vicki Staley, Summer Still, Courtney Taggart Reichley, Caterino, Trava, Caterina Travado Lovato, Joel Van Briggle, Brandon Vaderber, Jared Wells, Bethany White, Franz, and this is probably just to name a few. Wow. Yeah. So I asked myself, does God have something for us in these walls of revival that have already been dug? Are there promises? Are there blessings? Are there breakthroughs that he wants us to have and to increase beyond? But I believe if we did not honor that past, there would be no way that God's unique stamp would carry us into the future because we would have allowed a dishonoring of those wells to allow dirt to be filled back in them. If you look at what the word dishonor means, it means to bring shame or disgrace or to fail to observe or respect it. So dishonoring the past, and this can, this can apply to your family too. If you've seen a mighty move of God in former generations, you're not seeing it now. Dishonoring the past can happen in two ways. The first, you can bring shame or disgrace on the past. Maybe we've made fun of people or events. Maybe we've judged or gossiped about former leaders in our family or the church or the county or the assemblies. Continuing to live in unforgiveness toward people or leaders who used to go here or serve here will refill those wells. Being jealous or envious of what others have experienced in Christ now that they are somewhere else can cause those wells to be filled up with dirt. 
We saw it in verse 14. The Philistines became jealous of Isaac. They became jealous of Isaac. And what did they do? Jealousy caused the wells of revival to be filled up. They filled those wells with dirt. These were the wells that were promised by God to Abraham. And then Abimelech says, go and leave. I just want you away from me. Jealousy bred bitterness, which ended up in division. Jealousy in today's church can breed bitterness, which could end up in division. And we don't think it affects us because on Sunday morning we say, hey, everything's great. And outside we're wonderful. Yeah, let's do combined services. But inside you're jealous of where another church is, what another person's doing, the breakthrough that God's given them and not you. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. We must discern what season God has us in. If we're just concerned about where he has us, we can honor what God's doing everywhere else because we have specific wells that have been dug for us in our county, in our assemblies of God, in our church, and in your family. You have wells that have been redug, and jealousy and envy and bitterness and anger, all that junk refills these wells. A second area of refilling these wells can be when you don't have honoring and recognition and respect for what has happened. This happens when a church quickly moves on to the future and says, oh, that was okay, but we're going to do it a better way. We have better things and we have bigger things. No, all those bigger and better things, they come from those wells. That's the origination of what God wanted to do in your family, in this church, county, and the assemblies. That's why I spent name today publicly declaring those who have went before us to dig the wells of revival. So in the midst of honoring this past, we have to ask ourselves, is there more? Does he have new wells for us to dig? Because like these wells are really good, right? They were dug by men and women of God, born and birthed out of revival. But does he have new wells for us to dig as we honor the wells of the past? Genesis chapter 26, verse 19. Adam, you can come up if you want, buddy. Verse 19, it says this, Isaac's servants also dug. This is right after he redug his father's wells. Isaac's servants also dug in the, Gerar, in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But there's resistance. It says the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said. They argued over it. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. But you know what? Isaac didn't give up. He remained persistent and he went with his servants, with his team of believers, and he dug another well in verse 21. Again, there was a dispute. So it was named Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac continued to move and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. See, Isaac found where God was breathing. Isaac found where God's favor was, and there was space enough for him to expand. So he named that place Rehoboth, which means open space. And he said, at last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. He kept working. He kept serving people's opinions, people's looking in and criticizing and fighting and saying, this is our water. It didn't matter to him or the people that were with him. They continued to dig new wells. They knew their father's well was dug and they were going on to new territory. And it says in verse 23, from there, Isaac moved to Beersheba. Do you remember that? From when we read at the beginning. He moved to Beersheba, which is called the well of the oath. He's making new ground and new territory, but it brought him right back to where God had, had, had covenanted 
with Abraham through Abimelech and Abraham. And the Lord appeared to him. And through verse 24, it continues to reaffirm the promise of God upon him and his family and generations to come. And in verse 25, it says, Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord, but he didn't stop. It says he set up camp at that place and his servants dug another well. You know, I believe digging new wells is a response of worship, not an obligation of religion. As we worship the Lord and we realize and appreciate and honor what has happened in this past 77 years, 100 years, 200 years, we recognize what's happened. We're worshiping the Lord. His favor is going to come. His blessing and promise is going to come. And it's out of that response of worship. I'm not just saying, yes, Lord, thank you, thank you. But it's actually doing something about it. It's going out and digging a new well. You might be sitting here in your family. And you might be the very first believer in your family, the first, first generation Christian. You say, I don't have any other wells of revival. I don't have any wells that have been dug before me. Then you dig the first one and let it go deep. Let it go wide. So if the Lord should tarry and not return 200, 300 years from now, there'll be somebody that's benefiting from the blessing of God in their life because you chose to dig the well. You're called to dig a new well or redig wells that have been filled up. It's the only two options that we have as believers. And if you find an old well to redig, then it's still your responsibility and it's your privilege out of a place of worship to re or to dig even newer wells. In verse 26, I'm gonna end here. One day King Abimelech came from, from Gerar and he had his, his advisors and he talked to Isaac. In verse 28, he says this, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. These are the ones that stole his father's well. These are the ones that filled in the well. And now because they see God moving in his life, they see the blessing of God upon him, they want to actually enter into a covenant and a treaty with them. He said, let's make a covenant. Down in verse 30, it says, Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty, and they ate and they drank together. You know, this is what we want. <laughs> we want to honor and redig old wells. We want to continue to dig new wells so that when people who are far from God, people who are jealous or angry or bitter or even oppose the work that God's doing here, will one day see the hand of the Lord upon you. See the hand of the Lord upon your family. See the hand of the Lord upon this church family. And say, so, you know what? We're done fighting. We want to join you. And it's not about church membership at that time. It's about them coming into a covenant with the one in whom we have a covenant with. We say, you want to join us. You want to make a treaty. You want to make a covenant. Here, let me introduce you to my Savior. His name is Jesus. That's our responsibility. That's why we're redigging and digging wells. It's to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus so that one day people who are far from God, bound by addiction, opposing the work of God, will one day come and do as it says here in verse 30, that we would come together in a covenant feast and celebrate what has happened and eat and drink together. Come on. And we would be able to party with those who one day hated us and try to fill up our wells, try to mess up what God's doing. And they turn, we say, listen, we've always loved you. Welcome in to the family of God. 
And you would think that that's enough, right? You'd think Isaac would say, that was a good day. But in verse 32, it says, that very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed. So Isaac named that well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means well of the oath. Wow, we've had a massive revival. We've had nightly services for weeks. God's here. He's done his work. We've had thousands come. Now, the very next day they went out and they redug new water. Come on. Every day, from glory to glory, more and more, increase and increase, until this place is so packed that we have to bust out the walls. Not for a statistic, not to say we're building a new building, not to have a building campaign, but because the glory of God is being shown through this church family, through individuals who are willing to honor the past and to go into the future with God's unique stamp that he has upon your life and the life of this church. Each one of you is gifted in a unique way. There's a reason why you're here today. Do you understand that? There's a reason why, for those of you who call Central your home, there's a reason why you've chosen it. You might look up at me and think, that, that's crazy. I don't even know what he's talking about. Great digging holes and shovels and spiritual shovels. <laughs> Listen, no matter what your personality or background is, God knew that he wanted you out of 77 years of history of believers gathering together, which has now become Central Assembly of God, which happens to be in the Assemblies of God, which happens to be in Washington County, which you happen to be sitting in one of these churches. He has a unique gifting and purpose for you to be a part of a radical move of God that this county has never seen before. The wells are dug and there's new wells to dig. I want you to stand praying about this, I believe that there are three simple ways to respond today. Because there's no reason to wait. There's no reason to go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a real shovel. We have shovels, spiritual shovels that we can take action in right now. The first way, really, is to realize maybe you don't even have a well that's dug in your life at all, and you know you need to get right with God. You know you're not in right relationship with God. You know Jesus is not your Lord and Savior. That would be a great day to start is today. I say, you know what, God? I'm taking this shovel. Here goes the very first shovel full of revival in my life. And we're going to give you an opportunity to come down here in just a minute to celebrate with somebody that you want to get right with God. The second area is this, is that you know in your heart you need to take a few shovels out of a well that has, has dirt in it. But you know in your heart that there's been jealousy, envy, bitterness, and unforgiveness toward former pastors here, toward former people here that are now in ministry elsewhere, jealousy of what's happening in other churches or anything else. Listen, I don't want 500 people redigging wells of revival and digging new ones, and you unwilling to let go of unforgiveness when nobody's looking, putting dirt back in that hole. We are a corporate body, so we need to be on the same page. So please, if you feel like you've done that, don't waste any time. Come forward, either spend time by yourself or there'll be an altar team member that can pray with you. Forgive specific people. Confess specific things that God has dealt with in your heart about the past of either this county, this church, or the assemblies of God. The third way that we can respond is just simply by committing that you will be a part of digging brand new wells with this church family. 
And you know what? We'll celebrate when other churches dig their new wells as well. And I do believe that there'll be a day, there'll be a big old fat well in the middle of Washington County that all churches that are in this same stream of thought and belief will dig together. But it starts here. It starts by either you choosing to get right with God, you choosing to redig wells because you know your heart's not right in an area, or you committing to dig brand new wells. Adam's going to lead us in, I think, a song. And I just want you to come. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.